because I know what God's about to do in this place. I'm just in one of these moods as we are declaring this. I'm thinking of all the things that should have happened, could have happened, would have happened if my enemy had had his way. And I'm just thinking about all the times I worried about what could have happened, should have happened, and would have happened. But I'm here to testify, none of it happened. None of it prospered. And I just feel like taunting my enemy for just a minute that his best efforts failed. His best weapons failed. And I'm still here with breath in my body to declare the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Can you just taunt your enemy with praise right now? You're still here. You're still here. And he did not win. speakers but there's just such an anointing here I think my dog could preach <laughs> so don't judge if I'm a good preacher in this atmosphere because I think a donkey could prophesy right now there's just an atmosphere of expectancy and an anointing of breakthrough and victory and I have great expectation and if we had all day I'd be lost in this moment but I got to take us somewhere and I just want to know if you can receive the word right now. I'm going to try to let the worship team preserve themselves because we really are going somewhere. And I'm going to shift the order just a little bit. And I'm going to get into the word now because in just a moment, where we're going is going to take us into a place of joy and celebration and worship. And I know we usually start our services that way, and we already have, but God's about to seal this with praise. He's about to seal this with the oil of joy. And I want to deliver a word that preps the ground for what he's about to pour out. Who can receive it? So I just want you to get in a position now to receive his word. I don't care if you sit at your seat in the altar. I don't care what you do. I just want you to stretch your hands toward heaven, and I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to dive right into what the Lord has given me today. Father... We thank you that the ground is saturated and overflowing. We thank you, Father, that you finish everything you start. And not only have you started a good thing here, you're about to put a bow on it. As Pastor Shero said, you're about to finish the gift of what you have imparted to your daughters. So, Father, right now I pray against any distraction any seed thief that would creep into this atmosphere to steal your word from your daughters. I plead the blood of Jesus, and I declare the seed goes forth on good soil. Father, I pray you anoint me to deliver what you have spoken, not just to preach, but to prophesy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, like a tsunami, you would come in this place, and you would have your way, and that we would be overtaken by your glory as we dwell together now. So, Father, we thank you for what you've done. Yeah, we thank you. Open your mouth and begin to thank him. Father, with gratitude and thanksgiving, 
we thank you for what you've done. Lord, we have been fed and we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. You didn't have to show up, but you did. You didn't have to be mindful of us, but you did. And we thank you for what you've done. But Lord, we also extend a thank you by faith for what you're about to do in this place and what you're about to do when we leave this place. Your kingdom is advancing and there's an explosion happening in the spirit. And we thank you for what we're going to experience in your glory. You thanked him for what he's done. Can you thank him on faith for what he's about to do? Thank you, Father. We thank you with hearts of gratitude and honor. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. I have a word to deliver, and I can't believe I do, because after everything that's been said and done in this place, how could we even have room for more? Anybody felt that way, just like Thanksgiving dinner? But God's not done. And I just wanted to, to preach a word of completion. All my ladies have been with me in this seven cycle. And I want to complete, uh, preach a message of release over this place today. And I probably will prophesy more than I preach. But I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture. You're just going to have to hear me read them. That way I don't have to keep going back to them. And I'm just going to be honest. It's probably more word than some of you have had in two years. That was mean. I'm sorry. I told you I'm ornery today. We need to read the word. I just want to read it. I want to eat it. I love it. So turn 2 Kings chapter 5, and then you can put a finger. I'm just going to read a couple verses from Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to tie these two passages together in what I believe the Lord would say today. When you get 2 Kings chapter 5, if you'll stand with me to honor the word. And then after that, you can be seated and you can stand only if you want to. But right now, let's honor his word. It's alive. 2 Kings 5, beginning in verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, took him a bunch of stuff. It's just stuff, a bunch of stuff. And it happened, verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? <laughs> I wish we had more kings that would tear their clothes and admit they're not God. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore consider that he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha... The man of God heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
Naaman went with his horses and chariots and all his stuff and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times. Somebody say seven. Seven. And your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he surely will come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Because that's how they've always done it. That's how my daddy did it. My grandpa did it. Surely that's what he'll do. And he was wroth. That's what the King James Version says. Are not the Abana and the Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times. Somebody say seven. In the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child or a baby. And he was clean. Flip over to Matthew chapter 25. Can you handle more word? Good. I'm going to read it anyways. This is a fun passage. I felt Pastor Cheryl was trying so hard not to preach this last night for me. But I was going to let her have it. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. That word foolish literally means stupid. Ignorant. It does. (laughs) Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil or extra oil with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Say all. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go to those who sell it and buy it for yourselves. And while they went to buy, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in to the wedding, and the door was shut. You know, we're in an open door season right now, and we don't talk enough about the fact that the door does shut. The ark was open the whole time it was being built, but when the rain started falling, the Lord shut the door. We're in an open door season, but I came to prepare you that there is a moment and a time the door is going to shut. And the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Jesus said, Watch, therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. If you'll stretch your hands toward me and just pray that the word will flow by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let it flow in this place and let your word be confirmed by signs, wonders, and miracles. In Jesus' name, you can be seated now. So we heard it last night. We're supposed to be watching. 
We're supposed to be watching. And that word watch, Pastor Show broke it down for us and gave us the definition. It's about awareness of God, awareness of each other, awareness of the kingdom. But Jesus warned continually, not just about his return, but even in his walk with disciples, he would say to them, watch with me and pray. Jesus lived a watchman's life. And I don't have time to preach on the watchman today, but the safety of the camp of Israel depended on a group of people that would commit to watching. It didn't matter how many weapons the camp had. It didn't matter how high their walls were. If someone was not aware of the approaching of an enemy or a friend, the camp of Israel would suffer. Jesus took the concept of a watchman of the Old Testament and told us all, you are all supposed to watch. You are the watchman of your home. And if we are not aware, what you're not aware of is what will hurt you. All the information we receive is warnings and about what's going on around us, negative propaganda. We're fed continually, and we're very aware of the present circumstances we are dealing with. That is good to have an awareness of natural events, but is what is more concerning is not the enemy we can see, but the enemy you cannot see. That is the danger. And what you are not aware of is what can really hurt you. In the parable of the foolish virgins, they all fell asleep. I wish I could preach that part of them did and the spiritual ones stayed awake. But Jesus was very careful with his percentages in this parable. They're very frightening. 100%, watch this, 100% fell asleep. Now, I don't want to lay too much of a foundation for this parable because it's actually a message to Israel. And I don't know if you notice it's the bridesmaids and not the bride. And that might confuse you wondering why. And I'm going to get into it in a minute. But the bridesmaids were the ones who equipped the bride. They dressed the bride. They prepared her for his coming. And so just speaking of the fivefold, you're actually looking at the preparers of the church who are the ones standing outside. And of all of them, 100% were asleep. It's very similar to the passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He takes Peter, James, and John. He takes the church, and he says, watch and pray with me, lest you enter into temptation. And they all fall asleep. So before we get puffed up in pride today and wear a spiritual badge about how many gifts we have, how much we speak in tongues, and how much we know Jesus. Let's humble ourselves and recognize Jesus is trying to send us a cue here that darkness is coming and the tarrying is coming, so much so that even the elect would be deceived if he didn't shorten the time. And that there would be a season of the bride that the whole church would fall into a slumber. And what would awaken them would be circumstances. When all the disciples fell asleep who had followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, the call to watch and pray, Pastor Danielle, did not bring them awake. It did not awaken them. What awakened them was circumstances. They were awakened to something they reacted to that they should have been prepared for with foreknowledge in their intercession. Jesus said, pray so you don't enter into temptation. And it's a whole other word, but this is why Peter tried to chop 
the servant's ear off and, and one of the disciples ran off naked. They were caught off guard by circumstances Jesus tried to prepare them for and they chose sleep over intercession and they woke up to circumstances they were not equipped to deal with. And only one made the right decision in the middle of the chaos and it was the one who had watched and prayed, Jesus himself. And what we are finding is the current circumstances of the culture around us, they've been horrible, but they sure have woke us up. Oh, we're awake now. We're awake now. We're watching now. We're afraid for our lives. We're afraid for our freedom. We're afraid for our children's purpose and future. And I'm here to tell you what we have seen in the past two years is a church that woke up but wasn't prayed up. And they reacted in ways that were harmful to the, to the world, to the harvest, to the body of Christ. We had preachers, terrorist preachers coming to the pulpit and on their social media releasing a sword out of their mouth that cut the ear off the harvest. Do you hear me? So we're awake, but we're not prayed up. And because of that, we've been scrambling to figure out what to do. And I say we because I humble myself in this situation and say, I don't know if any of us really saw exactly what was coming. But I'm here to tell you this is the good news of the Lord. He says that he does not want his Beloved, to be caught off guard by his return. First Thessalonians, he says, you shouldn't be caught in darkness like the world. My return shouldn't come as a thief in the night to you. You may not know the day or the hour, but I'm going to make sure you know the season. Let me just break a religious lie that the church has believed. God doesn't find pleasure in catching you off guard. He enjoys bringing you into partnership with what he's going to do. But you will not find access to that partnership if you don't live a life of devotion. And your lack of awareness is not his pleasure. It's your lack of discipline. So if you want to know what's going on, I promise you, Holy Spirit is ready to talk. But I'm afraid he comes to a prayer closet that's empty. He comes out of a garden and finds everybody fast asleep. What made 100% of the church and the apostolic leaders that are supposed to equip the body fall asleep? Pastor Sharon, I figured this out over lunch. What they didn't know. What they didn't know caused them to fall asleep. What do you mean, Pastor Devin? Jesus stayed awake all night. You know why? He knew what was coming. But they did not know what was coming. And because they did not know, they took the leisure of a rest when it was not a time to lay their head down in slumber. What you don't know will determine how you posture yourself in the spirit right now. If you know, if you knew the hour in which we lived, you would be on your knees in fasting and prayer. And what happens is we try to do the first things as a reaction to circumstances. And God is looking for a remnant he can equip before the circumstances hit. Why did Pastor Cheryl preach such a heavy word? Because God in his mercy is sending out a warning. Some of you are like, oh, it scared me. I hope it did. I hope it scared you enough to set your alarm 30 minutes early tomorrow and get up and pray over your family and your children. I hope it made you so uncomfortable that you might start fasting once a week or once a month and pressing into the word of the Lord. 
the church is ignorant of is what has caused us to go to sleep. Because sleep is a lack of consciousness with the natural realm. Physical sleep is when you lose your awareness of the natural realm and you go into a state of unconsciousness. So spiritual slumber is when you lose consciousness of the spirit realm. You are not conscious of what is happening in a realm you cannot see. And God's been saying this since the very first message of this conference. He's trying to pull you out of a natural realm and equip you to see and move and hear in an unseen realm. And daughters of God, we only reach that through devotion. And if we would up our devotion and learn to pray and get in his presence, we wouldn't be caught unaware. He may not tell us every detail. He may not tell us every moment. But I promise you this, those who abide in him and he abides in them, his word will get in you and he will make sure he makes you aware of his movement and his heart. How many want to wake up in the spirit? So I want to be a watchman. And I, I'm not trying to re-preach messages. I'm trying to highlight what you've got to leave here with. You better leave here with an anointing to watch and an awareness. So I want to help you. One way to watch is not just to pray, not just to read the word, but one way I watch is I look at God's calendar. I'm not talking about the modern-day Jewish calendar, although it's still filled with so much revelation of Jesus they don't even realize it. But I'm talking about God's established calendar he established in the beginning. His calendar does not rest upon your planner or your calendar on your phone. It does not rest on any made man calendar, man-made calendar. God created his own calendar when he threw the moon and the stars in the sky and he said, I gave them to you as signs and seasons. And every feast and, and season God has established, it actually rests on the moon, not a man-made calendar. And that's why you are going, you're, in our nation, we operate by a Gregorian calendar, and it's a little different, but the people of Israel, they absolutely still operate by a lunar calendar because time was started that way. And I just want to bring you up to speed before I dive into this word on some things you need to be aware of as you watch. Something God instituted in the beginning through his calendar were seven special feasts. Who's heard any teaching on this this month? I hope you have. Seven special feasts that he established at his, an ordinance forever. And these seven special feasts, they have all kinds of awesome activities that take place because God loves to have a party. God loves to have fun. And when God speaks to you and encounters you, it should be like a party. Seven feasts. And all seven of them testify of one thing, Jesus I want you to just hear the mercy of God in what I'm saying. At the very beginning of his establishment of the covenant and the law with his people, he established the message of their redemption. And he made sure in their everyday life, all year long, they were participating in a prophetic message about how he would deliver them. He made sure their children were participating in a prophetic message. And for hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, they were celebrating Jesus and they didn't know it. That's why the Jewish people will tell you, especially a messianic rabbi will tell you the feasts were a dress rehearsal. It's a really important term for where I'm going. A dress rehearsal for the real thing. 
They were rehearsing something that Jesus would fulfill and they would see happen. They were rehearsing over and over. And this is why Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and wept over his people. And he said, oh, Israel, you missed it. You missed your time of visitation. You have seen the Passover lamb every Passover. You've seen all of the feasts fulfilled from Pentecost and harvest. You've seen me all these years, and I've shown up, and you missed it. They were unconscious to what was happening in the spirit realm. And I want to show you how intentional God is. How intentional. Wow. 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 How intentional God is to try to bring you up to speed on what he's doing. How he's trying to bring you into what he's doing. And so there are seven of these feasts. They are all dress rehearsals, and it's why we should not be caught unaware. It's why we should know the season, because the seasons were established by the Lord. Passover, feast of Passover, feast of unleavened bread, feast of first fruits, feast of weeks, feast of trumpets, day of atonement, and the feast of booths. And... There's all kinds of teaching on how they're fulfilled, but I'm here to tell you we just exited the Feast of Trumpets, which is one of the feasts that have yet to be fulfilled. You should really pay attention to that one. I'm not an end-time prophecy teacher. I'm not here to predict when Jesus is going to come, but I am going to tell you it's going to have something to do with Feast of Trumpets. How can you say that, Pastor Devin? Because every other feast he fulfilled, he fulfilled on the exact day it was established. You do realize he was actually slain on Passover. He was brought in to be examined on the day the children of Israel brought the lamb into the house and examined them for four days. You do realize that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. If every other feast Jesus fulfilled was actually in direct alignment with the date, then you better be watching the Feast of Trumpets in the next little bit, next few years. <laughs> you don't think I'm crazy, but every year, Feast of Trumpets, I'm like, kids, Jesus may be coming. If you hear a trumpet outside, it's not mama blowing the shofar. Jesus may come because the word lets me know when the last trumpet shall sound. There are 100 blasts of the trumpet on the Feast of Trumpets. If I brought my students up here, they could actually do it with their voice. That's how much I pay attention. We know the pattern of the 100 blasts of the trumpet. And what you don't know is they are the voice of God crying out to his people. The short, the staccato, the urgency. And then the last one, the person blowing the shofar will blow it until all his breath is gone. It is the last call to humanity it's the voice of God saying I will scream till my last breath that I'm coming and the Bible says at the sounding of the last trumpet first the dead in Christ shall rise and then we who remain will be caught up to meet him in the air do you think Jesus is going to come around that time I sure do now, we don't know if our calendar's a few years off, a few weeks off. Leap year really messed us up. So no man knows the day or the hour. But I'd be getting myself holy in September every year. <laughs> October. <laughs> Some of you think, shoo, I got a whole nother year to live in sin and fornicate, right? That seems to be our sin this weekend. <laughs> Next September, I'll make it right. But right now, we are in the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And you didn't realize it, but we're right in the middle of it. We're actually exiting day five into day six 
of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's really important you know this. I want to highlight to you what you need to know about the Feast of Tabernacles. And some of you are like, how in the world does this line up with Naaman? I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Number one, it is the celebration of God dwelling with the children of Israel through their wilderness wandering. They celebrate that God was with them. And they made the tabernacle in the wilderness and he dwelt with them. And they dwelt in tents. And so the Jews today, I've seen it in America. I've seen pictures of it in Israel. They will build a sukkah. They'll build a tabernacle. And it's really fun for the kids. God made sure to bring our babies into this. The family camps out in the sukkah for seven days. Somebody say seven. They eat in it. Some of them sleep in it. And what they do is they tell the story of the wilderness wandering and that how God tabernacled with them. And Jesus, I believe, has already fulfilled this. Some theologians will argue with me. But John chapter 1 says this, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt actually means he tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus came, he put on the flesh, and he dwelt with us. And what you got to understand is he went to the cross so he could dwell in you. Tell your neighbor, I'm the tabernacle. And on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, Holy Spirit, the presence of God just came to tabernacle in you. And this is a celebration of that. Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration because it's the end of harvest. Pentecost is the beginning of harvest. Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is the completion. Somebody say seven. Somebody say completion. It is the completion of harvest, which is why I believe Jesus will return in this season. It's the completion of harvest. What they do is for seven days they dwell in their tents, and guess what they do? They don't do it now, but what God instituted in the Bible was for seven days they offered an offering by fire specifically an offering by fire for seven days these are the ceremonies associated with the feast of tabernacles and we actually see them in scripture can you handle teaching for just a moment i'm coming to the word number one torches of fire are lit and placed all around the temple Torches of fire illuminate the temple. In other words, the house of God is set on fire during the Feast of Tabernacles. What are we at? God, ladies, we're at women of during the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is what Jesus was speaking of in John chapter 1. It says the, the torches were still lit the next morning. And he said, I am the light of the world. Now, we think of that as turning on a light, but they didn't have electricity. Let me just tell you what Jesus was saying. I am the fire of the world. That was their light, was fire. And that's where you see the lighting of the temple. God, he's been lighting this temple. Then they would draw water from the brook or the, the stream Salome. And this is in John chapter 1. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus watched them draw the water and he screamed with a loud voice, All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your belly, in other words, I'm going to tabernacle in you, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was speaking of the fire, the Holy Spirit, that he was not only saying, I am that torch, but I'm going to put that torch inside of you. I am fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And then this is what's crazy. The rain for the rest of the year was determined at the Feast of Tabernacles. Everything that would happen for harvest and rain and flooding was determined in that moment. How many of you understand the pregnancy of the moments you have been in? What God is shifting and placing within you, I declare during this Feast of Tabernacles, it will determine the, the rain that falls for the rest of the year. He is determining future and future harvest right now. So he wants to tabernacle with us. John 14 and 23 says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and will come to him and make, uh, we will come to him and make our home with him. Sounds like tabernacling to me. And that was the cry of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, he wants to tabernacle with you now, and he's going to tabernacle with us then. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that is now and is to come still. We are saved now, but we will be saved then. And he dwells with us now, but then he will dwell with us in eternity then. So I said all of that. That was just my foundation. I hope you brought a snack. Because for seven days, God completes the rain cycle. The seven days represents the completion of the wilderness wandering. They thank God for bringing them through. But there's something called the eighth day. Out of the Feast of Tabernacles, God said on the eighth day... When the completion is done, you're going to have a party on the eighth day, and it's the party of joy. You think I'm kidding? You go look this up. Every time they've been prophesying joy, I'm like, holy cow, it's Feast of Tabernacles. The eighth day, they would read all the Hallel Psalms, and they play music, and they spin in circles, and they party with Jesus all day, and they party because the oil of joy is poured out on the eighth day. So how is this relevant to me, Pastor Devin? Because in this house today, there's an eighth day anointing. The eighth day was the first day. It represents the first day they exited the wilderness and they stepped a foot in the promised land. Some of you came to this conference in your wilderness wanderings, but you're going home with your first step into the promised land God has created for you. It's an eighth day anointing. Oh, this is slow. I'm, I'm not even to the stuff yet. Eighth day anointing it's a day of celebration because it's a new beginning look at your neighbor and say new beginning I declare there's an oil of new beginning in this place and that's why the oil of joy is being poured out it's a Genesis anointing I wish my little baby girl was here I miss her right now we named her Genesis because the Lord said it would be a new beginning for her and a new beginning for us. And I declare that same Genesis anointing is just hovering in this place. It's the same Genesis anointing that was hovering in Genesis chapter 1 after all the chaos and the flooding of the earth. The Spirit of the Lord hovered and started something new. Some of you came here and you felt formless and void and dark and like your life was full of chaos. And I just prophesy there's an eighth day Genesis new beginning anointing hovering in this sanctuary. And God is pulling a new start out for you. 
What's crazy is this new beginning anointing. It doesn't just create new things, but it brings life to old things. You need to read the creation narrative. God spoke to the earth and told it to bring forth seed. Stuff that was already in the ground but was dormant and dead and unseen. God spoke to it in a new beginning and what was under the surface began to rise up. The invisible realm invaded the natural realm. That's what happens with a new day anointing. So I just came to tell you God is about to bring peace to your chaos. And he's about to bring order to disorder. And everything that you feel has fallen apart around you, I'm here to tell you it's the eighth day. It's a day of joy and victory. And there's a grace and an anointing in this place to birth a new thing. What was formless is now taking shape. And what you couldn't see but you knew in your spirit you're about to see in the natural. That's the power of an eighth day. Can I go through eighth day in scripture? Let's just look at the significance of eighth day so you understand what I'm prophesying in this place today. There's an eighth day anointing. On the eighth day, Pastor Amanda, circumcision happens. Who heard that word? Slicing and dicing. So I prophesy over you right now. This is how I roll. This is my altar service. We'll have another one. But you can receive as it's being declared. I prophesy you in this house today, there's an eighth day anointing. And that means there's an anointing to cut away what has restricted you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's about to be cut off my life. Restriction is leaving in the name of Jesus. So, Father, right now, I thank you. It's an eighth-day anointing, and I prophesy in this house, everything that's restricted these daughters from bearing fruit is being cut away. It's the eighth day. It's the day to circumcise. Why don't you just wipe your neighbor's shoulder and say, I'm just removing the restriction. I'm just removing the restriction. I want to move on, but I'm just telling you there's a cutting in this place right now. And what held you back, God's about to remove it. It's a new beginning, and that yoke is not coming with you. I just declare fruit, 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 fruit. There'll not be any more dead encounters with no fruit. I declare the Lord is removing what has hindered you in the name of Jesus. If you receive it, just raise your hands, Father. Remove what restricts us today. Remove what restricts us today. And let fruit come forth. Let our tent pegs be expanded. Let natural boundaries be removed. Let spiritual walls be torn down that the enemies built. Lord, let our tent pegs be stretched out. And let restriction be removed in the name of Jesus. I receive it, Father. Eighth day. The eighth day is the day restriction is removed. Number two, you stay right there. You can speak in tongues the whole time I preach. I don't care. I just want God to do it. Number two, it is the ordination of the priesthood. There is something called the blood of ordination. You go read it yourself in Leviticus chapter 9. A ram that was sacrificed, and it says the blood of ordination would be placed upon the earlobes of the priest. Oh, I don't know who I'm prophesying to, but there are some 
Horns of oil being tipped upon the heads of daughters in this place today. It's your ordination day. The eighth day is your ordination day. Why the eighth day? Because this is what happens. The ordination blood is placed upon the priest, and then he is commanded to tabernacle in his house for seven days. He's not allowed to come out of the threshold. In other words, God calls him and then hides him. Sounds familiar, David, right? Horn of oil poured on your head. Now go back and take care of the sheep. Nobody knows your name. Oh, but there was an eighth day. He was delivering some cheese and some bread. He thought it was an ordinary day. He didn't know it was his ordination day. Till he faced Goliath and the anointing of God was made known to all of Israel. I don't know who I'm prophesying to, but there are some women in here. First of all, you're going to receive a call, an ordination today. But there are some women you've been called and you've been tucked away in hiding. The Lord called you, put you right back in the house, shut the door and said, you ain't coming out of the threshold. You ain't preaching anywhere. You ain't telling anybody what I did in you. I'm just going to hide you away. You got to process for seven days. What I spoke to you, I'm going to do. But it takes seven days to process. It's going to take seven days for you to catch up with what I just put on you. So hidden away for seven days. And then on the eighth day, they would bring the priest out before all of Israel and the ordination oil would flow. It was on this day that the priest Aaron got before the children of Israel and the Lord confirmed his calling by fire. Fire fell from heaven on the children of Israel at the tabernacle. And I don't know who I came to talk to who's been hidden away for a good deal good seven-day stretch. Today is your ordination day. And today what God has done in private, he's about to publicly affirm over your life with fire. With fire. So I just declare anybody who needs it, Father, today is an ordination day of your daughters. Not only are you cutting away a restriction, but Father, the horn of oil is being poured on your daughters. I declare these daughters shall prophesy. I thank you, Father, your call and your destiny is being released in this place. And for those who have been stuck in a season of hiding and processing, I declare the door of the house is opening up and you're bringing them out. You're bringing them out to Confirm your word by fire. Number three. I'm coming for my mamas. Brace yourselves. On the eighth day, the sacrifices of the altar become the Lord's. On the eighth day, the sacrifices for the altar become the Lord's. Leviticus 22 and 27 says this, when an ox, a sheep, or a goat is born, it must remain with its mother for seven days. Somebody say seven. seven. But from the eighth day on, it will be accepted as a gift to the Lord, as a fire offering to the Lord. Mm. That's about animals, Pastor Devin. Okay, Exodus chapter 22 and 30. You must not hold back offerings from the Lord, from your harvest or your vats. 
give me the firstborn of your sons, and then do the same with your cattle and flock. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but on the eighth day bring them to me. What are you saying, Pastor Devin? Hannah wasn't so far off her rocker. Hannah didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to give my baby to Jesus. Hannah knew the principles of Scripture. And she was saying, Father, the first child that breaks this matrix belongs to you. Hannah got to take Samuel home. She nursed him. She completed a work over him. Somebody say seven. She completed her work over him. But on the eighth day, she took him to the steps of the temple. She set that baby down by the glory. And she turned around and walked away and said, Father, he is yours. What is this eighth day anointing in the house? It's an anointing of release. It's a Hannah anointing. I don't know what mamas I'm talking to, but some of you have a really tight grip. Your knuckles are white, holding on to that baby, and God is saying, they are my offering by fire. I'm going to use them to stir the nations. I'm going to use them to shift culture. I've got plans for them. You complete a work, but you remember at the end of the day, they belong to me. And I'm telling you today, there's a release coming to mamas. I just saw in the spirit while I was praying, archers, bows being pulled back, and arrows being fired from this place. It's a Hannah anointing. And I declare not only will girls prophesy daughters, but our babies are called to prophesy. There is no adult Holy Ghost and then a junior Holy Ghost. The devil knows something about our kids we don't know. Just look at what Pastor Shero preached on, the nation of Islam and other cults in this nation. They train them as warriors from childhood. They put weapons in their hand from childhood. And we look at our babies and we say, not yet, sweetheart. Maybe when you get in high school, why don't you just go back to the nursery? Why don't you just go back to children's church, eat some goldfish, and one day you'll be ready for the word. I'm here to tell you God is calling for our babies now. He's saying it's an eighth day anointing. Give them to me. I have need of them. I need some mamas to shout in this place if he can have them. Hey! I just take a moment to prophesy and I declare not only is this tsunami of glory coming to the church, it's coming to the children of the church. We're about to see the horn of oil children four five and six years old they can't even speak good english but they're gonna come home saying they're gonna dream dreams they're gonna have visions somebody say father here's my babies thank you jesus it's an eighth day it's an eighth day anointing it's a hannah anointing and some of you are going to go home from this conference and you're going to stop fretting over them and you're going to start prophesying over them. You're going to stop figuring out how you can, you're going to quit trying to figure out how you can shelter them and keep them hidden and keep them away from the things of God. And you're going to start looking for opportunity to put them in the fire. You're going to start looking for opportunity to let them jump in the water and say, swim, baby, you were made for this. In the name of Jesus, 
cleansed. Oh, there you are, Naaman. The eighth day is the day that leprosy is cleansed. It is declared complete and gone. Leviticus chapter 14 says that a leper would have to go through seven days of ceremonial washing. But on the eighth day, is it making sense? Is the story of Naaman making sense now? On the eighth day, he could be presented as clean and whole. Now let's take a trip to 2 Kings chapter 5 for an eighth day anointing that's about to do something about the church's leprosy. We're going there. Because when Naaman was told to dip seven times in the Jordan, it was an act of completion, but it had such a deeper meaning. It was an act of acceleration. Because Naaman didn't have to shut him up seven days. He just had to dip seven times. And in one trip to the Jordan, God did what would normally take a week. And Damon, Naaman came out of the water declared clean. There's an acceleration of restoration being released in this eighth day anointing. <laughs> An acceleration of restoration, especially of the bride. It's a new day for the bride and it's dawning in this room today. And it's time to get ready. Why did I lay groundwork for the feast? And I came to tell you, this whole bump in the road we've been going through in our nation, it was a dress rehearsal, Pastor Stephanie. Some of you are like, oh, my God, is Jesus coming now? Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Is COVID judgment? What's going on? I'm here to tell you, it was a dress rehearsal for what's coming. And this is my question. Would you have been ready? If you prepare for a wedding, you always start with a dress rehearsal. And if I have any brides who can testify, the dress rehearsal is usually a train wreck. You have all these grandiose ideas, and you get everybody in the room, and you try to walk through it, and it's horrible. But by the time the wedding comes, all the wrinkles are ironed out. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't come to preach doom and gloom. I came to tell you, we had a pretty ugly dress rehearsal here in our nation. And God in his mercy sent a wave that shook us, woke us up, and exposed our leprosy. Why is leprosy important for the bride? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Whose responsibility is it for the bride to get ready? The bridesmaids and herself. Revelations chapter 19 and verse 7 says, Be glad and rejoice. The marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. You're like, Pastor Devin, I thought you were going to lay hands on me and make me ready. I thought the Holy Ghost was going to go poof and make me ready. But I'm here to tell you there's some divine partnership we're trying to get out of the responsibility of. And it is your job, bride, to get yourself ready for your wedding. Maybe we're not waiting on Jesus. Maybe he's waiting on us. 
chapter 19 says, because the bride has made herself ready. Look at your neighbor and say, eh, we time to get ready. This has been a dress rehearsal. And I have had to ask myself this question, and I ask you to do the same. How have you behaved in the past year and a half? How have you reacted to the circumstances around us? You don't have to say out loud, I won't shame you and make you tell on yourself. But chances are, there are some things you need to work out in your wedding before the real thing comes. And what happened is, at least the American church showed up to a wedding not ready. How do we know when we're ready? Ephesians 5 and 27 says this, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. And he wants to make her holy, cleansing her with the water of the word. To present the church to himself, a glorious bride without or blemish. Spots of leprosy corrupting the readiness of the bride. I want to talk about the difference between a spot and a wrinkle. Are you alive out there? A wrinkle is when the original material is creased in a shape or form it was not meant to be in. It happens under pressure. If you sit on your jacket in the car and you put pressure in the wrong place, it will deform the original design. And I'm afraid that we are a church exhibiting wrinkles of deformity. We have allowed the pressure of culture to distort our original design and intent. And it's about to take the hot iron of the Holy Ghost to iron out the wrinkles. I came to prophesy to your original design right now. The fire of God wants to get rid of the wrinkles in your life. Where life pressed on you. Life pushed on you. And distorted who you really are. And why you're really here. And how God really sees you. He's not coming back for a bride with wrinkles. He's coming for a bride who knows who she is and is wearing the original design of covenant and kingdom dominion. I declare the wrinkles are leaving today. And then spots are foreign materials that have been imposed on the original design. <laughs> That's just a fancy way of saying a stain like you spilt coffee on your dress or something that wasn't original to the material that has been imposed upon it and it's ugly and it shows and no bride can get married with a stain it's a spot and today I'm going to liken that spot to leprosy because I'm here to tell you we showed up for a dress rehearsal and we figured out we have some issues we need to deal with and you may fall out with me when I say this, but I thank God for this season we just went through. Because had it been the real thing, half of us wouldn't be here right now. Oh, Pastor Devin, that's harsh. No, that's the statistics of Jesus. In Matthew 25, he said, 50-50 chance you're ready. He could have said eight and two, right? Nine were ready, only that one, that person you know, they're not ready. But Jesus said, no. When this shakes down, 50% of my bride will have what it takes and 50% will be in the dark. I thank God for this dress rehearsal. 
because it's an act of mercy upon my life and your life to say I'm giving you another chance to make it right. I'm giving you another chance to return to your first love. Naaman had to deal with his spots before they overtook him. Because leprosy may start as a spot, but it will consume the entire body. The Old Testament lets us know when God struck Miriam with leprosy, her skin became white as snow. Oh God, I don't have time to preach this. Naaman had a spot, and if you read the story, he did only have one spot. That's why he said the prophet would wave his hand over the spot. It was the beginning of an issue that if it was not paid attention to would be his demise. Some of you have the beginnings of an issue. If you don't pay attention to it, by this time next year, you might be white as snow, but not with purity. It's a false sense of purity. Leprosy will bleach you, not purify you. Listen to me. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, you're whitewashed tombs, meaning you look clean, but you're dead on the inside. And when I look at the church, we've learned to paint over our leprosy and we've learned to call our sin freedom and we call it purity. Oh, I call it the bleached church. She preached on the bones, you remember? They were bleached by the sun. They were white, but they were dead. And boy, I could preach a message on diversity right now. Color is life. The church is not meant to be the same color. That's something that's dead. If it's bleached, it's dead. God is bringing the color, the diversity, the coat of many colors back to the church. Your bleached Christianity. I don't need you to put paint on it and hide your bones and tell me you're holy. I want to know if you're holy from the inside out. Your spots are showing. The bleached church. God, give us our color of life back. So Naaman had this problem, and thank God he paid attention to it. That's your mercy extension today. And who you surround yourself with in this season will determine where you're going. Naaman would have died in leprosy if it wasn't for the people he surrounded himself with. And if you didn't hear anything from the other speakers, you better start purging your inner circle. You better start praying for the right connections and just getting the gift of goodbye for the wrong connections. Because who you let feed into you and speak into you and who surrounds you in this next season will determine if you live or you die in the spirit. Naaman didn't know what to do with his leprosy, but little servant girl said, hey, I know somebody. And this confused me for a while. I'm like, dang, he took her as a slave. She'd taken care of his wife, and she gave him the key to his healing. Why, Pastor Stephanie? I'll tell you why. She understood the law of leadership. She was tied to the house of Naaman, and what happened to him happened to her. If he succeeded, she succeeded. And if he died, her future died. She was tied to her leader. Therefore, how it flowed from the head down mattered. She understood the law of leadership. So she said, I better get him healed. And she began to submit. And I just, I just need to speak right now. I'm for everybody, but I, I, I am commissioned to speak to leadership right now. 
Those ten virgins represent a five-fold ministry that is ready and a five-fold ministry that runs out of steam, endurance, and oil at the wrong time. The bridesmaids, I told you this, they get the bride ready. And there were five of them that had something that separated them from the other five. And I wish I could throw this microphone to Pastor Cheryl and she would preach the house down on the two words that made the difference. You want to know what they were? Extra oil. <laughs> there was one group, they both started with a lamp on fire. But one group believed that what they started with was all they needed to finish. What lit their lamp, that experience, that impartation was enough to get them there. But there was another group that said, I'm so glad for what lit my lamp, but I need a little more of that for the journey. And they took extra oil. Don't you know those extra people? You're so extra. Exactly. God is an extra God. The last time I read, he is not a God of enough. He's a God of more than enough. And he blesses us pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He's a God of abundance and access. God is extra. And if you're going to make it to women of fire next year, you better become an extra person real fast. The days of just enough are over. We are reaching a season in the kingdom where yesterday's fire will not do. In the days of complacency, you won't survive. Jesus on the side, Jesus in a compartment of your life will not carry you through to his return. If you don't have extra, you're not going to make it. We compartmentalize these people in our church, you know. We used to say there's like the, the intercessors. They're here all the time praying, fasting, and then we call them SMOs. Did you all ever call them that Sunday morning onlys? Okay, maybe I shouldn't say that. They show up on a Sunday if there's not something else going on, right? But it was all the body, and I say this with the fear of the Lord. They all started as the body. I bet all ten of these girls were friends. I bet they had some good conversations over their fire. Everything was good because everybody looks the same when it's daytime, but when the midnight hour comes, there's a separation at the threshing floor that will divide those who are ready from those who are not ready. I don't care if your light is burning while the sun's still shining. That's easy. I want to know if at midnight, the thickest hour of darkness, do you still have oil in your lamp? Do you still have a fire burning? And I'm here to tell you, those who are living a compartmentalized Christianity, they're going to run out of oil. And if you don't leave with anything else here from this conference, you better take extra home. What would make five of them Take extra oil and five of them not. This is such a profound revelation. Are you ready? Why did five not have extra? The same reason some of you don't have extra. They believed what they had was enough. What a lie! They believed what they experienced was all they would ever need. They believed that what they already had was enough for what was coming. And I came to expose that lie, daughters of God. Like Pastor Shero said, we don't have a clue what's coming. And what we have must be coupled with the extra oil of the Holy Spirit. Don't sit in a seat of complacency and said, Pastor Devin, I'm good. I've got enough. 
I've been good for 10 years. I'm fine. I can quote scripture. I've never missed Sunday school. I've got enough. And those ladies that keep running to the altar, every altar call, they're so extra. I'll just sit back in my seat. I got enough. I'm good. I'll be back next year. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord spoke to me deep in prayer. And he said, Devin, the landscape of this nation will not look the same by women of fire next year. You better tell the ladies the next time they hear your voice, it will not look the same in this nation. And don't you wait for another conference to get your oil. You better get it while it's flowing. You better get full while it's flowing because we don't know what's coming. Touch your neighbor and say, you need extra. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry. There's so much I'll just have to preach it another day. I think I need to pull this out at Ruach. Preach the bleach church. I'm going to preach the bleach church at Ruach. Where are you, Kevin? Don't be fooled by the package. Preconceived ideas will kill the move of God. Naaman almost missed his moment because he started talking to himself. Let me set somebody free from yourself. Quit telling yourself you know everything. Quit telling yourself you know everything God's going to do and how he's going to do it. Some of you need to stop the internal conversation that tells you I know what's going to happen. Naaman started talking to himself saying, well, this is how he's going to do it. And when God did it in a way he wasn't expecting, he almost missed it. If it wasn't for the people who surrounded him, he would have. And I'm here to tell you, the church is infected with preconceived ideas. The church is infected with a know-it-all mentality. And so was the church in the day of Jesus. And it's why God always takes kingdom treasure and he hides them in secret places for the seeker. It's why he took Jesus up into the virgin womb of Mary because they were all expecting a king to be born in a temple on a throne. And he said, no, I'm going to put it in a little virgin girl and put him in a carpenter's home. It's why Jesus rode into Israel on the donkey, not on the white stallion, but on the donkey. It's why the pearl of great price was hidden in a field that had nothing. And somebody who had spiritual vision sold all they had for the field. Don't be fooled if it doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like. Don't walk around with natural vision and miss the visitation of awakening. The Lord will hide these things from the wise and prudent and reveal it to the humble and those of a childlike heart. Jesus actually rejoiced over that principle. So God said, no, you're not going to go to a pretty river. You're going to go to the dirty Jordan River, and I have tucked a miracle in there for you. I just need you to throw your hands up in this place and say, Jesus, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, just come. Whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, just come. Say, Father, free me from my own preconceived ideas. Free me, Father, from my own experiences. And let me be open to your way and your plan in this hour. I wish I could preach this, but he said, Can I not go to the river Farpar and Abana? And those rivers meet shiny and gold and quick. That's what the church wants, right? Give us what's shiny and gold and give us what's quick. We ain't going to the Jordan River of death. And he missed it. But I'm here to tell you, 
His little servant saved him. Mm, I need to talk to some leaders. You better listen to the people God has surrounded you with. He might not call your name from a pulpit, but he'll take that faithful servant and give him a dream and give him a word and send them to keep you on the right track. Embrace your friends in this moment. They just might save your future. And so he says, go dip in the Jordan. I'm almost done. Are y'all live? Are y'all with me? Longest sermon ever at Women of Fire. And I used to would have apologized, and I'm not anymore. Oh. He goes to the Jordan. He dips seven times. God completes the work. And when he comes out with the eighth-day anointing, Listen to this word. Not only did Yahweh heal the leprosy, not only did the Lord touch the spot, he touched the entire organ covering his body. Because when God restores a thing, he just doesn't focus on the issue you're asking him to. He'll make it a whole new creation. God said, I'm not just going to patch my bride over. I'm about to give her brand new skin. And this is the prophetic word I took an hour to get to. In the eighth day anointing, God said, I'm about to give my bride brand new skin. It says, Naaman came up with the skin of a baby. What does this mean for me, Pastor Devin? A baby's skin, well, I'll just say it because I'm going to preach it. I could have. It's oily. That's why it doesn't wrinkle. It's oily. And you better get your extra oil. But a baby's skin, listen to this. Jesus, help them grab it with me. It is made for expansion. Genesis is not going to stay the same size she is right now. The DNA within her demands expansion, and her skin is equipped to handle the expansion. A baby's skin is elastic, and it will stretch with whatever the DNA demands. Naaman was a grown man. Oh, this is going to help somebody. Naaman was a grown man. His skin wasn't stretching anymore. Pastor Cheryl, he had reached the limit of his natural DNA. But the Lord gave him a new beginning. <laughs> oh, I feel this. He gave him a second wind. <laughs> he said, not only am I going to heal your leprosy, but in the latter season of your life, I'm about to start all over with skin of expansion. And I'm about to take you to another level of growth. I'm about to start again. And just when you thought I was finished with you, I'm about to put something in your spirit that starts to grow. And I'm going to give you skin that will stretch with it. Somebody shout in this place. word for everybody who's prophesying the church is over. I came to tell you that yesterday is over. Yesterday is done. What the church has been, yes, it's done. But God is not done with the church. He's about to give us new skin and a second wind. And we're going to grow more in this season than we ever have in our history. In the name of Jesus, somebody pray in the Holy Ghost. 
prophesy to some leaders watching me right now and in this room your best days are not behind you you've been so focused on the leprosy you've just been begging God to heal your spot God said not only am I going to heal your spot but I'm going to use it as a launching pad into the next dimension of expansion and growth over your life I'm releasing a new thing says the Lord
Put your hands toward them, ladies. 